0: Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there.
1: Most of what we call the truth is a story that's been given to us about who we are as individuals, That starts in your womb and how your mother thinks and feels about you as she's carrying you, as your bones are being knitted together and your skin is covering the bones and your heart is starting to beat. And then when we're born, the environment that we're born into, and you know, as children, we take on whatever's going on in the environment. So much of the voice that we hear inside, 90% of the time, it's repeating the story that's been given to us.
0: You're listening to The Mindful Mama Podcast, episode number 300. Today we're talking about mothering ourselves with Van Sant. Welcome to The Mindful Mama Podcast, now with over a million downloads. Here it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. I am so thrilled to present to you another very, very special replay episode with the amazing... Ianla Van Zant, who is host and executive producer of the acclaimed award winning series TV show Ianla Fix My Life. And she's one of the country's most celebrated writers, public speakers, and among the most influential, socially engaged, and acclaimed spiritual life teachers of our time. And we are going to talk about what does it mean to mother? How do we mother ourselves? You know, I want you to listen for some really important takeaways. How to mother is to nourish, nurture, and teach, to beautify. How before we can learn to mother ourselves, we must get to the place of I matter and accepting what comes to you by day. And at night, you can give it back with forgiveness. There's so many beautiful gems in this episode. I just had to give it to you again. I know that because we have so many episodes, some of them don't show up in our podcast players. So this is such a beautiful gem of an episode. I know you are going to love it and want to share it with everyone you know. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode with Iyanla Van Zant. Iyanla, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. <laughs> Mindful mamas.
0: <laughs> I am so excited to talk to you. And honestly, it's a little hard for me to and to know where to begin because your body of work is so enormous and you have affected so many people in your life. Um, and I would just love for you to share with the audience about your name, Ianla, because I discovered this about, I looked in and saw about your name and I think it's so fascinating. So tell us, tell us about what Iyanla means and how you got it.
1: Uh, well, Iyanla means great mother. <laughs> It is uh, from the Yoruba language. The Yoruba people are the people from southwestern Nigeria. And about 37 years ago, wow, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I uh, went through a spiritual initiation in that tradition because it is the tradition of my matriarchal lineage. My mother's family originates from Dahomey in western Africa. And it was just part of my... I would say ancestral lineage to embrace the tradition of my mother's lineage to become a cultural custodian or a priestess in that tradition. And like most traditions, when you go through a spiritual initiation, they change your name. Hmm. Uh, And it was very interesting for me to get the name Iyamla or Great Mother, which really isn't a name, it's a title, but it was given to me as my name because it was most in alignment with my purpose, to mother, which is to teach, to nourish, to nurture, to beautify. And because I hadn't been mothered, really, my mother, my birth mother died when I was two. And my, I was raised by a series of female relatives, including a stepmother, an aunt, and a grandmother. So as one having not been mothered, really, uh, or taught, Nurtured, nourished, or beautified (laughs) to get the name or the title Yamla really represents what I do in the world. So it took for me mothering to a much broader perspective, and I really had to learn about mothering, about teaching, about nourishing. Nurturing first myself,
0: yeah, that's and then everyone say. else. Yeah, did you have to nur- Did you have to learn how to mother yourself? Because oh, having absolutely. lost your mother, you that that had to be part of it. Tell me a little more about that.
1: Well, like I said, the mother, the purpose of mothering is to nourish, to nurture, to teach, to beautify. That's what mothers do. That's what mothering is. I mean, we nourish. Our children whether we're breastfeeding or bottle feeding we nurture them meaning we provide them with the environment the tools the skills that allow them to grow and unfold we teach everything from eating to walking to potty training (laughs) to how to use the correct fork at the table and then the beautification I think is just how we teach and and demonstrate to our children how to present in the world, how to present in a space or an environment. And because I was raised in a kind of disjointed, dysfunctional environment, I didn't know how to do any of that. Mm -hmm. So my first step was to teach myself. I had to nurture myself and nourish myself. I had to teach myself so many things about being a woman, about being a mother, let me say, in, and in the teaching, I had to unlearn so many things that had been passed on to me that were self-denying, dysfunctional, deharmonizing, you, you name it. So I had to unlearn and then teach myself how to do so many things. I knew how to cook. I knew how to wash clothes. I knew how to clean a house. I didn't know how to honor my feelings. I didn't know how to ask for what I wanted. I didn't know that what I thought and felt mattered mattered, or that it was to be a priority in my life. So learning those things and being able to do it and as a way of nourishing and nurturing myself uh, took probably 20 years of my life. <laughs> so I think many mamas lose that you know, we, we, we don't get it. And then we, try say,
0: to, we, we don't get it in the first place, right? Like no. you didn't get it, no. but that whole idea that what I think and what I feel matters, my needs matter, what asking for my needs, like so many of us never get that because our mothers teach us that their needs don't matter and teach but, us that what they think and they feel doesn't matter. They put everyone else before themselves.
1: Right. And it's before I can even get to my feelings matter, my, my needs matter, what my thoughts matter, I have to get to I matter. Mm. And many mamas, if you will, don't realize I matter. Because that's what we are transmitting to our children, to our environment. And if we bring in I don't matter and I just sacrifice and give and do and be, then we're teaching and and communicating and demonstrating to our children um how to do the same thing. And of course it's, none of this is conscious. It's yeah. just the way it's kind of set up.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's not we're not blaming you and it's not their fault. Well, so this fascinates me because I'm uh, you know, I'm picturing you growing up you know, you're a, a kid without a mom. You're with a lot of different relatives. I'm imagining that there must've been a place where there was a real struggle for you to get around to the place of like, I got to figure some stuff out.
1: Well, of course. And, and how that happens is you, I saw myself manifesting in my children. I believe that children bring to life the subconscious issues of the parents. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They live in our body, and they feel our heartbeat, and they hear our thoughts, and they marinate in that. Yeah. And um, as as my children got older, I often say that everything my children needed, I learned it way after they needed it. (laughs) Yeah. So... <laughs> I got so to really get feedback from my children as they were young adults about how they had or had not been mothered and when I saw the missing links in their life and when I saw how they were being and doing and approaching things I was able to say ooh and and I say this and people cringe when i say it i was a great provider i was a horrible mother hmm. so when i got the name great mother when i was given that title to govern the rest of my life i had to really look at it and study it in the yoruba tradition and among most indigenous people because my grandmother's native american Mm-hmm. Your name is your nature. Mm. So every time someone calls your name, they are educating your spirit about who you are and how you be. Mm. So when I got that name, Yamla, Great Mother, I had to really start investigating and examining mothering and motherhood. When I saw how my children were showing up in the world, I had to go back to the drawing board and unlearn some things, and relearn some things. And now, because they're young adults, not teach it, but demonstrate it.
0: Mm. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel, puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. So where were you when you, when you went to go do that Yoruba initiation and you went to go study with that, with the people there and, and see what that was all like? Where were you in your journey? Did you have your children? Were you starting to... Give me a sense of sort of the timeline there, because I know that you've gone on to, you know, you do amazing coaching. You've helped so many people. So where was that in your journey?
1: I think my children, let me see, this was 36, 37 years ago. So my children were teenagers. Mm. And what happened for me was my middle daughter, she was 13 and she went to bed and wouldn't get up. (laughs) Literally, she would get up in the morning, she would go to school, she would come home, she would go to bed, she would sleep, or she would lay there and she wouldn't speak. And I was devastated. I didn't know. Well, you know, the first thing I said, oh my God, she must be pregnant. You know, she's sleeping Uh like a pregnant woman, but she wasn't pregnant. And I didn't have the language. I didn't have the skills. I didn't have the tools to know how to help her. I knew she was in trouble and I didn't know what to do. And no amount of fussing or screaming or begging or discipline, nothing was helping her. Mm -hmm. And so I had to resort to an old tried and true motherhood tool, prayer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I started praying for her and her prayers for, my prayers for her turned into prayers for myself. <laughs> mm. Until one day, I mean, this went on for almost a year. And back then, you know, we didn't think about suicide, teenage suicide, and things like we do now.
0: Mm. So
1: one day, I just went and got into bed with her. Oh. And, and I laid there with her. She was curled up. I curled up. We just stared at each other's face. I did that for about two weeks. and till one day she just broke down and started weeping and said to me how sad she was and how she felt so lost and how she didn't know who she was and she didn't have a boyfriend and the girls didn't like her and blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh my God, that's me.
2: <laughs> I feel
1: sad and lost. <laughs> I knew what to do. I didn't know how to be. Mm -hmm. And so we made a pact that we were going to do this together. And we did. And she became my best friend and and ultimately my teacher Mm -hmm. uh, because she still had a, a level of innocence and vulnerability that allowed her to speak truth to me in ways that you know, I had learned to diminish, dismiss, and deny. So she would say, no, you know, when you do that, it makes me feel. I was like, oh, okay, I do that to myself. So it was really a growing learning process. And we became best friends. She became my teacher. And when she was 30 years old, she was diagnosed with a rare form of colon cancer called familial polyposis which is a genetic thing, even though we couldn't find any history of colon cancer on my side or her father's side. But when she was 31, she transitioned. She surrendered her life to that colon cancer. And that took me on the next leg of my journey, which was really practicing everything she had taught me and everything I had been through with her.
0: Wow. Wow, I'm so sorry for your loss i I love that like you said I knew what to do, but I didn't know how to be and she just she just stopped like and she just waited and until you finally saw her and got into bed with her and really felt that right like you really could really be with her. you didn't know how to be, and she's saying be with me and you know, and you went finally and you you were being with her. And I love that, that she became your teacher. She sounds like she was a highly sensitive person and really kind of in, in um, struggling with uh, all the, the harshness of, of
1: this well, all the things I didn't know to teach her,
0: mm-hmm.
1: all the things that I didn't know to teach her, but by just learning how to be with her and to learn how to nourish her and nurture her moment by moment taught me how to nourish and teach her and and nourish myself moment by moment, how to be honest with myself moment by moment so that I could mother her and recognizing also at a certain point that the nourishing and the mothering and the teaching and the being with shifts from mother to child to woman to woman. Mm. And that's what we were able to do. And I think so so often mothers, we stay in that mothering role inappropriately. There Mm -hmm. comes that moment when you have to shift and see that adult child Mm -hmm. and take the nourishing, the nurturing, the teaching to another level. Mm -hmm. And also be willing to receive from the child because they do bring to life your subconscious issues in a new generation and they see it and they manifest it in another way. So it, it was a learning experience.
0: You're really talking about moving beyond your role, you know, moving beyond relating to your child from this role to role place and just being real, just being you with all your vulnerabilities, with all your difficulties, and also your strengths and your joy. That's wonderful. I love, Yeah, I love and, that.
1: And see, because I didn't have a mother, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a pattern to follow. Mm. I didn't have certain ingrained restrictions. You know, like many women say, oh my God, I've become my mother. Well, I couldn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I didn't have one to become. I was this conglomeration of women who had raised me most effectively, probably my stepmother, who said something to me that, I never understood until I was 40 she said don't be like that because you're gonna be somebody one day don't say that don't act like that don't do you're gonna be somebody one day and uh, my public my publishing career began when I was about I think I was 30 Mm -hmm. Um, and pushed me into the public in a way so now I'm trying to mother, I'm trying to be a woman, I'm a public person, it was, ooh, it was a mess. (laughs) But I kept thinking to myself, okay, I am somebody. Hmm. And, And holding that thought led me to, okay, what kind of somebody do I wanna be in the world, in my home, in my relationships? So all of that was the foundation for my teaching and unlearning and relearning and doing what I do in the world.
0: What brought you to the work of coaching and writing and helping people to live better lives? What brought you to that work? initially? Well,
1: you know, as a woman of color growing up in poverty and dysfunction, I always wanted to uh, help other people. and. The thing that I chose to help other people was law. You know, I became an attorney. Huh. And I'm gonna save all of the, you know, disempowered people oppressed by the legal system. <laughs> and I got into criminal law as a public defender, and I was like, oh, holy moly, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's I spent, how I
0: felt about teaching. I did for yeah. like two years, and I was like, whoa, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah,
1: I started out as a teacher, as a kindergarten teacher, but because my voice was so heavy, I used to frighten the children. <laughs> <laughs> I scared the children. I had them crying. I said, okay, well, let me get out of the kindergarten classroom because this is not working. And I, uh, I went to law school and I spent every day in jail because my clients were there and just had an aversion to the operation of law. This was in the early uh, 90s when the courts had become a drug Court, oh, You know, every other case yeah. was drugs and you're not Very really practicing reality. law. You're making deals and trying to get people the, less, the least amount of time in jail. And one day I just really got the intuitive guidance that get out of here, leave this place. And I, and I did. And after several months and weeks of prayer and meditation and being still, I realized that I didn't go to law school to become a lawyer. I went to law school to train my mind. Mm. I had never really known how to use my mind because my heart was so discombobulated. You know, like I said, growing up in poverty and dysfunction and instability, I went to law school to train my mind. And uh, after I left law, had no clue about where I was going, what I was doing. A friend of mine asked me, would I be willing to work with women who were on public assistance being prepared to re-enter the workforce? I said, well, that's my story. (laughs) You know, I know how to do that. Mm. And so I went to work for a company that was Uh, an organization that was training women coming off public assistance, reentering the workforce. And uh, I wrote a book for them. I made a workbook for them actually. And that workbook became my first published work. Also in that time, there was a gentleman named Thomas Leonard who is known as the father of coaching. Mm -hmm. And through a friend of mine, I was introduced to his program that he was experimenting with before he put it up online. And I became involved in his program, one of his guinea pigs, and learned the process of coaching that I then taught to the women that I was working with. And he opened or he implemented Coach U or Coach University. And I was one of those um, primary coach, one of his first coaches. So that's how I learned about coaching. But the piece that was missing for me was the spiritual aspect. And so, in training my mind with the law, and in learning coaching and and supporting people and rebuilding their lives, it just came to me that there's a whole spiritual aspect of it that was missing, that I began to add to it, and realized, okay, I'm not here to teach or live man's law. I'm here to teach. God's law, Mm -hmm. universal law, spiritual principles as building blocks for building or rebuilding your life. And that was 30 years ago.
2: I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I love I love that. It seems like your path was, you know, that, that loss piece was an important part of it, right? To like kind of come around to these people who... You know really needed your help, and you were in the a perfect place to 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 be there and to to connect with them i've um i've actually um i've taught mindfulness and yoga in the prisons and it's it's very satisfying i think really be connecting person to person and to help people who have so much stress and difficulty to help give them some at least an hour of support right like it it really it really feels amazing. You but talking but the, about- thing,
1: the thing that I realized was, even though they were getting the benefit, I wasn't helping them. I was helping myself. <laughs> yeah, they're helping I was, me. I yeah. was learning and growing and healing and yeah. putting into word and practice. Because so very often, particularly as mothers and as women, we get things in our life and we work through things or we figure things out, but we don't pay attention to it. We just do it because it's needed at that time. And what teaching other people mm-hmm. and sharing with other people, not helping them, just teaching mm-hmm. and sharing with them, what it's done for me is it's supported me and honoring, recognizing, and utilizing in my own life what I've learned. Yeah, <laughs> Because so very often we miss that. We're so busy trying to help somebody else until we don't recognize how this practice or this principle or this tool or this skill or this experience has supported us in growing in our own lives. So that's what, that's what teaching did for me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't say help because honestly, it really, felt like uh, you know as a fellow practitioner who these tools helped me enormously right it was like here here are these tools that help me enormously see see what they do for you you're exactly right like and and I love that I saw an interview you did with Con Jackson and he asked you this question. He said he asked you this question about advice for others and I really loved what you said Ianla. You said don't give advice You said, share your experience. And I think that was so, that had so much wisdom, you know, share your experience, like person to person, right? Not role to role, person to person. Yes. Yeah. That's so beautiful. So tell me about what, what is, what you've spoken about a spiritual code of conduct and you were talking about like this missing piece was a spiritual piece. So what, what does a spiritual code of conduct, what does it include? What are some of the essential elements?
1: Oh, well, First of all, I think for me, I can only speak for my experience, what I discovered was I didn't have an intimate personal relationship with the God of my understanding. I grew up in the church, you know, which was really used as a, I don't want to say a, a weapon, but it kind of sort of was uh, <laughs> a weapon.
0: Threat. Uh, right, uh,
1: yeah, do this uh, or you uh, go into yeah. hell. Uh-huh. I'm like, I'm already in hell. (laughs) And so it's really developing that intimate relationship with the God, the creator, life, the universe, whatever you want to call it, of your own understanding. You know, how this energy, this process called life, how are you living it? How are you being in it? uh and what it does for you and how, you know, it's it's so difficult for me at times to put intellectual con- mm-hmm. concepts, intellectual language to a spiritual concept,
0: mm-hmm. you know? I think, are you trying to say, like, what p- part of the spiritual code of conduct has to be is kind of like when, you know, you and I know each other through a, a mindfulness context, right? Like, kind of like what... We speak about in this idea, this mindfulness context of like kind of stepping back and getting that perspective and that intention, and and part of that, you know, that in, if you're talking about in developing an intimate relationship with God, universe, and life, part of that is saying, looking at it and saying like, "Holy crap, I'm alive! This is this life. This is here." Getting that perspective. Uh, that is so appropriate of awe and amazement and appreciation that it is.
1: That's it. And also, you know, going back to the very overused statement that I think people miss sometimes is, I'm not a human being having this, I am a spiritual being having a human experience. So defining what does it mean to be a spiritual being in a way that matters to me? in a way that makes sense to me. What does it mean to be a spiritual being? So for me, that spiritual code of conduct means understanding, recognizing, and embracing the fact that you are a spiritual being. Mm. What does that mean to you? So it starts there. Because you can't have a spiritual code of conduct if you're dealing with yourself as a human being, (laughs) you know, if that's what you are.
0: Yeah, you're almost talking about like valuing yourself like valuing that if I'm a spiritual being you're saying you're saying people like look at yourself and value who you are as the spiritual being and as this kind of amazing, you know, piece of divinity in some ways like rather than you almost kind of in some ways the, the opposite of maybe what some traditions teach is that you're nothing and you have to just
1: right you Wretched know exactly yeah
0: yeah <laughs> exactly
1: And then looking at those universal spiritual principles that support me and being the best me I can be. And there are some that I think are are just, you know, practical. Number one, love. Mm. How do you define it? How do you live it? How do you demonstrate it? How do you embody it? Because so many of us humans... Have such a distorted perspective of what love is that we think love is what happens between us and another person. I love my children, I love my partner, I love fried chicken wings you know <laughs> but, <laughs> what really is love and how do I demonstrate that and understanding that the foundation of life is love another one so so really learning how to be the love as you define it, how how do you define it? And how do you be that? And then how do you demonstrate it? The other, I think, important spiritual code of conduct is really understanding, seeking, um, living, speaking the truth. Mm -hmm. Truth is critical. I think 90%, maybe more, 99% Of the challenges we are looking at in the world today are the function of us not knowing the truth not speaking the truth not seeking the truth not wanting to know the truth you know there's a story that I tell when I'm teaching sometimes about in the beginning of time how the lie and the truth were very good friends they did everything together they went you know, they just moved in the world together. And one day they went to the river to swim. It was a very warm day and they went out to the river to swim. And they, when they got to the river, they took off all their clothes and they went skinny dipping. And the lie kept saying to the truth, go out further, go out further, go out further into the river of life. And the truth kept swimming out and swimming out and got to the middle and just laid on her back and was there. And when the water began to get a little cool as the evening came, the truth swam back to shore only to discover that the lie and her clothes were gone. Oh. <laughs> so she made her way back to the village, back to the city, hiding behind trees and using leaves and went right to the lie's house and knocked on the door, and the lie wouldn't answer. Knocked on the door. She was out there screaming and hollering, let me in, let me in. People began to gather and snicker because the truth was standing there naked. And finally, the lie opened the door and said, how can I help you? And the truth said, what what did you do with my clothes? Why did you leave me out in the river? And the the lie said, who are you? I, I don't know you. And truth said, what do you mean? I'm your friend when you took my clothes and they went back and forth and people began to gather and eventually started to throw rocks and stones at the truth, telling her to get away and leave the lie alone. And from that day forward, people would begin, would believe the lie before they believed the naked truth. Hmm.
0: And
1: that's where we are in our world today. So, part of the spiritual code of conduct is being able to recognize and then accept the naked truth, <laughs> whatever it is.
0: I imagine that part of the challenge that we have in dealing with the truth, especially with truths about ourselves, is that the inner voice is so harsh inside that yeah. we have we've we've taken in our our culture of judgment and shame and blame and taking that inside. And that's the voice that we speak to ourselves with. And so then to, it then becomes even harder to face a difficult truth because then if there's a truth about ourselves that we have to face that's un- hard to t- handle, there's no compassion inside.
1: Well, yeah. most of what we call the truth, it's a story that's been given to us
2: mm-hmm.
1: about who we are as individuals that starts in the womb starts in your womb and how your mother thinks and feels about you as she's carrying you as your bones are being knitted together and your skin is covering the bones and your heart is starting to beat and then when we're born the environment that we're born into and you know as children we take on whatever is going going on in the environment so much of the voice that we hear inside 90% of the time it's repeating the story that's been given to us or the one that we've made up as a result of what we've seen because the true voice the the spiritual voice is compassionate and kind and loving but it has to compete with the deceptive intelligence of the ego <laughs> that is developed as a result of the story we've been given. So truth is is a big part of your spiritual code of conduct, walking it, talking it, living it, seeking it, understanding it, recognizing it, and then knowing how to be the truth. And that requires the next code of conduct, and that's deepening and developing trust Mm. for the process of life, for yourself, and for that inner voice, um, the true inner voice, the authentic inner voice, not the voice that mimics in the story. Trust is so huge for us. And if you don't have trust, you don't have faith. And if you don't have faith, you'll eventually lose hope.
0: It's It's hard for people to trust. I mean, I think that, you know, naturally as human beings, like there's so much fear, right? We are wired for awareness of threats, right? We are, we're wired for that. That's how we survived. And so to, to the development of trust can be, can be so hard. I, just, cause the, the habits of living, the habits of our, our families and our cultures and things like that. And, but I, I really like what you said. And I, I, I was looking at the book that you have, Faith in the Valley, and you say, We always get what we expect. And I think that really does tie right into this idea of trust. So, well,
1: I would offer that we trust something bad will happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it, you know, we awfulize and we trust that. Mm-hmm. And then that thought form becomes filled with fear. And then that diminishes our ability to trust. We trust the wrong thing will happen. Mm. But we do trust. We trust that when we go to sleep at night, we'll wake up in the morning. But then we trust that the next morning will bring more of what happened the day before. We trust that when we put our feet on the ground, the law of gravity will operate and keep us upright. We trust that. But we're not conscious of it. We don't think about it. We trust that. And when we exhale, we're going to inhale. So we're trusting all the time. But what's conscious for us most of the time is to trust that the worst thing possible will happen.
0: Yeah.
1: We trust that.
0: I guess that's part of that, that's part of that wiring for survival. But if we want to have more trust in life if we want to live a more open life and a more, you know, we want to live by these spiritual principles, what are some ways that we can develop more trust?
2: Practice. Well,
1: your daily spiritual practice, first of all, whatever that is and whatever faith walk you're taking, you've got to touch down every day with your spirit. You know, we'll touch down with Facebook, with Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> we touch down with you know the to do list, but we don't trust touch down with spirit. And I think that when we do the thing that'll help us to develop more trust is forgiveness, and mm. and and not thinking that everything that happened means what we tell ourselves it means. You know, one of the uh, things that I believe is. Each day we get to accept whatever comes to us comes as a gift, whether it's happy or sad or discomfort or uncomfortable or whatever. Whatever happens to us in the day comes as a gift, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, if it was unpleasant or dis- uncomfortable or painful or whatever, at night, give it back. <laughs> <laughs> give it back. And the way you give it back is forgiveness. You know, I forgive my children, my partner, my mother, my father, so accept what comes to you in the day, trust that it's there for a reason, to teach you, to to grow you, to stretch you. And then at night, give it back with forgiveness so that each day you're wiping your slate clean. But when we hold on to this little hurt, that little slight, this little upset, this word, that behavior from day to day to day, unforgiving, we do lose trust because the human mind the deceptive intelligence of the ego is always telling us that what happened is going to happen you know
0: mm.
1: so forgiveness is the other way to really it's a it's a spiritual code of conduct to be forgiving that doesn't mean that you agree with or that you set yourself up to be walked over but it means that you're just not holding on to you know what happened in 56 you know, boo-boo left you in 56, and you're still upset with him. He's gone on and been married five times. Why are you still stuck back there?
0: So so can forgiveness be, in your experience, a practice that we can kind of fake it till we make it, that we can practice, that we can kind of go through the motions and try to be in the, try to bring us to kind of to the place of it, and if it's not quite there yet, is it something that we can develop over time in that way?
1: Absolutely. When my husband left me for someone I know, I knew that in order to move through that, I had to forgive. And I didn't want to forgive him. I didn't. I wanted to be mad and I wanted him to suffer and pay. I wanted their relationship to fall apart. I just, you know, it was just, it was ugly. And so I just started doing forgiveness, first saying it, then writing it, then speaking it. And I just did it and did it and did it until one day it landed. And I realized that the only person I needed to forgive was myself. I was really angry, not that he had left me, but he had left me before I left him because I wasn't happy in the marriage. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you can do it and just set the intention. I'm forgiving today so that I can clear my slate and clear all energies between me and everyone else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, this is, I love this conversation. I love talking about these things. You, you have um, a wonderful book of daily quotes called acts of faith. Yes. And one of the quotes you have in there that I really liked was heaven is where you will be. When You Are Okay Right Where You Are by Sun Ra. Yeah. And I'm wondering about, you know, you at this point in your life, you've had so much in your journey. journey. You've had an amazing TV show on the own network and hanging out with Oprah and all these things from, you know, your roots. Are, are Do you feel like you're at that place where you are okay right where you are?
1: Absolutely. You know, what I learned through my spiritual code of conduct, through my practice, through losing my daughter, through ending a 40-year marriage, through these things, that I am the master of my life. I am the only one who gets to say what goes on in my life. So I get to choose how I'm going to respond. I get to choose how I'm going to behave. And I recognize with all that I had lived through and learned through that I'm strong and that I have faith in myself to move through whatever difficulty. When my daughter died, it changed who I am as a person. When You bury a child, as a mother, it changes who you are. And I had to navigate that change and, and craft that change. Who was I gonna be? So yeah, my heaven is right here, right now. I have a full life, a busy life, and my goal, my other, spiritual code of conduct is to find joy
0: Mm.
1: moment by moment
0: Mm. yeah to bring it back to that i love that to find joy moment by moment um do you still you know do you still suffer do you still have you know as uh, are challenges arising for you and and as challenges arise for you um what's different today now and how you deal with them than in the ways maybe you used to Mindfulness, (laughs)
1: Mindfulness, <laughs> you know, just being moment of how I am responding. how you handle the issue is the issue and how you handle yourself as you handle the issue leads to your healing. So mindfulness of my breath, of what I'm thinking, what I, how I'm handling my feelings, what I discovered for many moms and many women is we have a very limited emotional vocabulary. And as we work to, um, grow our emotional vocabulary, you know, there are things beyond anger, shame, guilt, sadness, you know, there are things like, Oh, I'm out of integrity (laughs) with myself, you know, understanding what integrity is, understanding what disappointment is, understanding what, um, Anxiety is making a distinction between the sensations in our body and what we're feeling, because sometimes you get a sensation and you name it anger. It might be gas, you know. <laughs> you
0: know? I thought I was so pissed at you, honey. Yeah, but I just me, have a little gas, you
1: know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and really expanding our emotional library, which is one of the reasons that I created. The Intervisions Institute for Spiritual Development. I have a two year personal development program where I work with men and women of all races, ages, really teaching people how to live a spiritual code of conduct and how to have your heaven, your joy, your peace, your love moment by moment by moment.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I checked that out. I was like, hmm, I want to do one of these workshops. <laughs> so for the listener who's saying, you know, yes, I want some of that. I, w- I want some peace. I want some joy. But right now I have a two-year-old and I'm not getting any sleep and I'm overwhelmed and my husband's struggling and maybe we're struggling financially and I just feel everything is too much. What can you maybe offer that person? That person who wants oh, a piece of that piece. <laughs>
1: well, two things. Number one, your daily spiritual practice. I don't care if it's five minutes of breathing, five minutes of of reading something inspirational, you know, get you a deck of peace cards and pull a card every day and tie it on a string around your neck. I don't care. But you've got If you're a mom, if you're a woman, if you're serving the world, whether you're a doctor, a nurse, a teacher, a psychologist, a coach, a yoga teacher, you have to have a daily spiritual practice. You have to touch down each and every day with your authentic self and then give that permission to guide you through the room. That's the only way we're going to live beyond our habitual problem-solving techniques. Um, so that's one thing, five minutes, six minutes, 10 minutes. It doesn't matter.
2: Amen. If you can do it three, no, times,
1: three times a day, that would be good. The other thing I say is we've got to master our energy. Everything is energy. Every thought, every, every word spoken, everything in your home, your environment. We've got to master your energy. So as a shameless plug, I would ask everybody to go look at Masterpiece, M-A-S-T-E-R-P-E-A-C-E, one word, one word, Masterpiece Body Therapy, which is a line of products really created by my daughter, Jania, before she passed, that I've continued. And it's body wash, it's body butter, it's, it's things that we can put on our body. The largest organ of, of, of our being is our skin. And we can master and, and monitor the energy that we bring into the world that we receive. So go take a look at Masterpiece. But really, you don't have to spend a dime, your daily spiritual practice.
0: Yeah. The, any Anyone who's been listening to the Mindful Mama podcast any length of time knows I am so with you there, a daily <laughs> practice. <laughs> It's that grounding of this is my intention. This is how I want to be. This is before the go 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 do do do. Before you know, like you you said earlier, I knew what to do. I didn't know how to be. It's that practice of how do I want to be, right?
1: Yes, Check absolutely, that. absolutely. All the time. Yeah, and as you begin to increase that practice, deepen that practice, it ch- changes the energy. It changes your energy how you be in the world, you know, so many of us as mothers and women, we're soldiers. We want to be warriors because soldiers fight for money and on direction. Warriors do battle to maintain and preserve the entire kingdom. You are the kingdom of your life. Preserve
0: that. Mm. Yeah. I got goosebumps. (laughs) (laughs) Iyanla is such a, is really great pleasure for me to be able to share time with you and to have this time to be able to share a deeper conversation, which um, just makes me wiggle my toes because I enjoy that so much. (laughs) And I really appreciate, I just want to thank you because I really appreciate the work that you do in the world and that you help, you know, help us all grow and evolve and the voice that you've brought and the way that you have allowed your voice to be magnified, I think has only created incredible ripple effects. So I just want to thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you for noticing. <laughs> thank you for noticing.
0: <laughs> so everyone check out Ianla, and Ianla has uh, you know the TV show and they can find you at right? I- Iyanla, iyanla.com, right? Oh,
1: yeah. I-Y-A-N-L-A, iyanla.com. I-Y-A-N-L-A, com. You can also find the work that I do at InnerVisions, com, And then, of course, Masterpiece, P-E-A-C-E, uh, MasterpieceBodyTherapy.com.
0: Mm, I just love talking to Yanla. It was such a great pleasure and a I feel so grateful to be able to talk to her. You know, we have to mother ourselves. I love this. I love this, how we we can grow and evolve our consciousness. Yes, 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 yes. I love it. So I hope you have gotten a lot out of this episode. If you have, please share it around. We count on you, you, you dear listener, you who are listening to my words right now to share the episode with your friends, to share it on social media, to send texts to your friends and let them know what's here and that is the Biggest thing that helps this podcast and helps more people get these nourishing words, get these messages that really uplift us. You know, in a culture of so much negativity and despair and all that, we need these messages that uplift us. And you are an important part of that. So please, please do share it if you got a lot out of it. I would love to know what you got out of it. Please tag me on Instagram. I'm at mindful mama mentor. And I would love to know. And I just want to thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the growth and evolution of parenting i am so thrilled for you to be joining me on this journey it's a powerful one right like yes you matter this matters i'm yes 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 okay well i appreciate you i'm so glad to connect i cannot wait to talk to you again next week for our awesome friday mindful parenting bite check out your podcast player for that short lesson on Friday that will dive more deeply into mindful parenting principles. Oot, woot And I will talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. Namaste.
3: I'm a mom who really has a vision of how I would like to be, but my daily life seems to be very contrary to that. I have a very spirited, Five year old daughter who tests me no end, and I love her to bits for her spirit, but it just drives me insane. And this is why I came to the mindful parenting course because the mum I was being was not the mum I wanted to be. One of the biggest takeaways for me was the component we did on listening. All these things that I thought I was doing to sort of, you know, make her feel better, like say, oh, don't worry about it, or, you know, next time do this. I thought I was being a good listener and helping, but I once I could see the effects of really what those things were saying, I I really realised that actually I'm a terrible listener and my responses are are what is terrible. So that was a really big eye-opener for me, much more than just being about a better person with me and my daughter. It was actually a lot more about how to be a better person with everybody. I don't see why anybody would not do this course and this course really, really does give you those tools and even without Being a parent and even without being the focus on being a parent, I just got so much more self-awareness and it gave me a really good grounding about how to be more the person that I want to be uh, and gave me the tools to do that and I really can't speak more highly of it.
0: I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship
3: with your kids for the better, it will help you communicate better